0: podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Hey, and welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 63 today. Today is going to be part of a two-part interview where last week you heard Laura Harper-Lake on episode 62 of the Creative Guts podcast. This week we have on Sarah Reitzman, who is the other co-host of that podcast. I broke them up because I really wanted to hear their different views and the different ways that they became the creatives that they are in the community that they formed. And uh, I don't regret it. It's been awesome they're really both very unique people and it's interesting now looking back at doing these interviews and understanding them more for what puts them together to make that and uh i've just had a great experience uh understanding a different piece of creative in this portion of the uh the country as well so Uh, A lot of physical arts that I I am not as on top of and I don't talk to as much in the podcast. And Sarah brought a lot of great insight and things that I can jam out on in the economy and local housing from her experience with her job uh, doing that. So Sarah and I talk on kind of getting into creative later in life you know finding the different things that you've always been creative in but might not have noticed and picking something up and going after it and just taste testing it and trying and and not being too hard on yourself to try and really enjoying the ride that you're you're doing on your way to doing things instead of just setting goals and going towards it so she had such a great attitude on it and uh it was good for me to talk to her because that counteracts a lot of things that I have trouble with so Really fun episode today with Sarah talking about a pretty vast array of things. And uh, if you missed episode 62, Talking to Laura, definitely go check that out. Check out their podcast and kind of get a perspective on uh, who these people are and what they're up to. But a lot of fun. Uh, If you're listening to this, then I have already run my marathon. So I just want to shout out to anyone that has donated to the charities we are looking to hit our goal. We, we will hit our goal by this time and, uh, really appreciate you helping us raise some money for some good causes. And if, uh, you're hearing this and you didn't check it out, I will have gone live on some of the parts of this journey in my first marathon. If you've ever wanted to do that, uh, I'm going to do some commentary kind of on what it's been like for me and what it's meant to me to see if it's of any interest to you. I know it sounds kind of shitty if you uh, are not in that way, but it's been really good for me in the training process and uh, definitely been good through all this corona shit to have that under my belt. So thank you guys so much. Hang out for episode 63 today. Cheers. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 63 of the podcast today. And uh, today is going to be kind of like a, this is part of like a, a series almost. This is the, the, the second half of the Creative Guts podcast today. If you listen to 62, you got to check out the story and hear me talk about the million things that Laura Harper Lake does, who is one of the, the hosts from the Creative Guts podcast. If you're on today, you get to hear, I'm going to say your last name wrong, I think, Sarah Reitzman.
1: No, that's perfect.
0: All right. Okay. I don't rights know. Man, I'm, yeah. I, I'm notorious for like murdering last names. So I'm always like prepared for failure, I guess. But um, rights
1: woman, it, <laughs> if you were being, you know, totally politically correct. But, you know,
0: rights, what is it? Rights woman?
1: Rights woman. Yeah. Rights woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we the rights people.
0: Right. If you haven't listened to the Creative Guts podcast, I yelled at you a little bit last week but you should go check that out uh these guys are also uh new hampshire pretty much like like i thought i was pretty gung-ho new hampshire but i feel like they're even more new hampshire than me because they do a lot of uh blogging for stay work play they do a lot to support the creative community here and they also interview pretty much exclusively people from the creative community here in new hampshire they they are uh they are interviewing other people too but Definitely, if you're a New Hampshireite, check these guys out, Creative Guts. Uh, So we've got Sarah on today, the other half of this podcast here. They're centered around interviewing creatives really in the same way as we are here in a way. But uh, I think that just our own backgrounds kind of deviate the way that we are looking for conversation or who we're choosing to to interview and things like that, um, so it's it's pretty cool to to listen to theirs and 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 it's been awesome connecting with them and, and starting to chat with their people. So Sarah is also, believe it or not, very creative. So Sarah is is a uh, blogger. I think on is it two blogs for Stay Work Play. Yep. So also a yep. blogger for for a couple blo- uh, blogs on Stay Work Play and I think other stuff too. And then she also does embroidery and. Uh, cart cartography. I'm learning. I'm teachable. You got it. <laughs> and other things too. Uh, she's she's wrapped up in a lot of stuff too. So I'm gonna not do justice by explaining it because she's also uh in the same way as Laura, where they're they're just really being creative people and and getting into all these different ad- avenues. She also is the executive director of the workforce housing coalition here in New Hampshire, which is a uh nonprofit organization that works to create affordable housing in this state. Uh which we'll definitely probably chat on too because we were already starting to talk a little bit before the show, I'm guessing. So welcome Sarah.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for being on. Thank you for dealing with me like I think three weeks in a row at this point somehow. <laughs>
1: It's true. It's true. This is our first time ever collaborating with another podcaster. We've had other podcasters on. Actually, that's I guess that's not totally true. We've had other podcasters on the show, but being able to do this sort of like three episodes together once on Creative Guts, where we interviewed you, and then on Waking Up from Work, where you interview Laura first and then me. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I never do it on purpose. Like I, it happens almost every time. Like I've actually done a ton of like either a split episode where it legit goes out on both at the same time like the same interview goes out on both or i've done a bunch like this where either if i'm on someone's i just really get attached to them or i love the conversation i want to just now frame it in my light or or uh or i've had them on mine and they invite me on theirs but i feel like it's a lot of fun to do that because usually not even usually i've never had anyone on the show that i don't like as a human being And I've never had anyone on this show that I don't feel like we're cut from the same cloth in some way or like at least like able to just really, we might have not even talked a lot before and we can instantly click and be like, yeah, of course, like that thing, you know? So, but I like, I like these collaborations like this because I feel like it gives you a chance to like last episode, Laura said, this is so different to be on the other side of the the mic. For whatever reason, Uh, And then I'm the same way. I think I said it when I was on yours, like it feels different when you're on the other side of like, who's going to be who for, for how we're talking here. And then like, once again, like I think that bias and like the creative background that you have and your influences all dictate and deviate the information that you want to get out. And I, I, I have a great time doing it. So it's been awesome to have you guys.
1: Yeah, totally. And I so agree with that sentiment of like, I think Laura and I really like all of our guests and still talk to most of them in various ways. And like, you just kind of feel like you're all friends after you interview them. It's really awesome.
0: I don't, I will not be talking to you guys. This is over after this. This is all the t- scheduled talking only. No,
1: <laughs> Laura, are you still there listening to this? Oh, no, <laughs> that's brutal.
0: No, she sent me a, an event an event that she has going on. I'm probably going to show up by myself or something and hang around.
1: So No, that's awesome. Yeah. So you won't be able to get rid of us.
0: That's I'm fine with that. That's cool.
1: <laughs> we got a sad cat face.
0: Wow, if it was a regular sad face, I would be like I wouldn't care a lot, but like sad cat face like really brings it up a notch where like I know that she's hurting and I feel bad. (laughs) So Sarah, I asked Laura last episode, like what does the name Creative Guts and what does the podcast mean to her? I would love to hear your perception or meaning of that as well. If you want, if the definition is the same between you because you're you're co-hosting, that's cool. But like what's your... What does Creative Guts really mean and and what's the purpose of that for you? I'd love to hear that from your side.
1: I think one of the coolest things about the name of the podcast was how easy it was to get there. Like I thought that naming the podcast would be really difficult, but honestly, we went back and forth and spent more time kind of figuring out the logo. Creative Guts was the first idea that we came up with, and we just sort of were like, yeah, we like that. And that was it. And we really like didn't go back and forth on it. Don't have any regrets about it. It's just, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of like, you know, a word phrase. It's one thing, creative guts, but it's also like these two different things. We're talking about creativity, but you can't have creativity without having guts. And we're talking about people who are, you know, brave enough and gutsy enough to try things and experiment and play. And, you know, you don't just, become an artist it takes this sort of like evolution and you don't like you know are not perfect at everything you do right when you do it there's this like bravery and like to build up that confidence and being empowered and so sort of about you know i mean It's sort of exactly how it sounds. It's about creativity and lifting up creatives and like, you know, embracing creativity and exploring the roots of that. And how are some people more creative than other people? And how do you, if you're not a creative person, how do you like unlock that part of your brain? Because we think everybody's a creative person. Yes. But then also, are you brave enough to do it? And we love hearing from we've so many guests who have told like stories about being brave and how it wasn't, you know, their whatever, it wasn't their talent that got them where they are. It was their their guts. And we just I don't know, we just love that part about being sort of vulnerable and putting yourself out there and you're risking failure or criticism or whatever.
0: Yeah. There's a lot in that that I like about what you said where I do think like between our two audiences, we have a especially vulnerable field of work that we are in here. Like, I don't think I I don't care who you are. Like, I've seen the most confident musicians or artists or anything like there are just days when it does get to you or there are just days where like you are still scared despite doing it X amount of years and especially I'm, I'm like i work with a ton of like indie artists that are, like maybe it's the first time they've ever recorded ever and i really remember back when i was younger the times where it was my first time recording ever and i had an engineer treat me like absolute dog shit and i have kind of made it a point where like i i also believe that everyone is creative i especially believe it when people give me that like uh you know, like I kind of play guitar, like blah, blah, blah. Like they, and they just really want to like, they maybe they do just play a couple chords. You can't, you can't downplay any creative at all that you're doing because it's there. And literally it's your choice of whether you're building upon it or not. But like, if you're doing that, it doesn't matter if I'm the nastiest at what I do in the planet and you're talking to me. You at, like, I, I totally get that feeling. I do the same stuff. I downplay my work when I'm talking to like, a master engineer who like I know can kick my ass all day. But at the same time, like, I, I, from my spot, always want to support those people in that community where like I don't want the, the guts part of it. To stop them from from moving and blowing up that creative part of it. I think both together you're absolutely right. Like you can you can have that spark of creative, everyone has it, and it depends on like where is that going to come out at and where is that gonna grow at. And then if you don't have the guts piece of it, then you won't be confident enough to make some type of action that moves that into a light that either makes you take feedback and then change on that or get encouraged and then change on that. But like it's like almost like the two pieces of your name are. Are like this is the thing that's being created, and like where is that coming out at? And then like guts is like what is the action? Like where is that going to do for moving forward in some way in the, in your life or others' lives? So like I I love the name of it when I when I read it.
1: Oh totally yeah. One of the questions when I interviewed Laura on the podcast uh, we did a couple episodes where we interviewed each other sort of coming up on our one year anniversary and was thinking about our, our sorry, our birthday. I keep calling it anniversary and then thinking, you know, birthday is way better. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I keep one of the questions that I asked her was like, if there was ever a time where she felt like she had imposter syndrome or like felt uncomfortable about the label artist, like, mm. you know, Laura is a capital A artist. She is a like bona fide, totally legit artist. And I am a brand new, totally like a baby deer artist. And I feel so weird about the title. And Laura goes, like, no when I was in third grade, I decided I was going to be an artist and that was it. She's just always been an artist. And it was just like the opposite of my experience. So having this sort of like bravery, where now like, I always grew up, I've always been creative, but I sort of like grew up thinking that I didn't have the gene. I wasn't, I couldn't be artistic because I didn't, I wasn't born with like that natural artistic talent or whatever. And now I know from interviewing all these people that That's not how it works. And you work hard and you evolve and you experiment and you let your style evolve as you go and you play and you, you know, you make some stuff that you throw away and that's okay. It's just not a big deal. But it was so cool to see sort of like her experience versus mine being sort of like nurtured as an artist, but also just like the sheer guts it takes. And I so get it now Like having going through it right now myself, I so get that like guts of like when you're still new and you're not like, you know, good yet, quote unquote, you know, that like, it really does require a ton of bravery to be like, I'm going to start putting myself out there or like, I'm going to throw some art into this auction or, you know, this call for art or whatever. I'm going to start like letting people actually see what I'm doing, knowing that like, maybe you haven't totally decided on your style yet. Like maybe your sort of personal style hasn't evolved into what it will be yet. You just kind of start throwing it out there, knowing that like over time people are going to get to watch you evolve and progress and become a better or different artist. And like, that's terrifying.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's like, I have learned that the process of recording and getting a record out needs to be somewhat quick, just in the sense of like any time I've ever worked on a project and like stuff just happens. So like stuff just happens. Someone has a baby or something or, or, you know, a bad thing happens in their life or like things happen and like it just happens. But whenever I've done a long record where like I've legit worked with an artist for like a year or two on a record because of whatever they get more and more self-conscious on the record as that goes, because they have literally grown exponentially in the amount of time that they have done pieces of that and now are listening back to it and then want to keep re- redoing it till like I get back up to par and then never release it. And it's like, there's danger in that. And that's like all in that field of like exactly what you're saying, like seeing your own voice be heard or something like that. It's, 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 it is such a game of like i we've talked about, I think, on this podcast before of like just like release it or something like that, because like you you have to you know you just have you have, you to, have to release it get and, it and there. get to the next creation because you're never going to stop creating ever yeah Hopefully. yeah when
1: we that reminds me when we interviewed Matt Wyatt of the Rochester Museum of Fine Arts, one of the things he said was that. You know, you'd like basically this kind of idea that you can't be too precious about your art and typically like he answered the question of what piece of art represents you or something like that of like, he was talking about how whatever you made most recently or whatever you're in the process of should be your sort of like favorite piece of art or the thing that best represents your style. Because anything older than that is like, you've kind of already evolved past it a little bit. And so I'm sure the same thing is true with music. If you like spend too much time on it, you're like, no, I'm over that record. I'm like, you know, I'm onto this new idea or whatever. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Yeah, there's stuff that, like, if you wrote a song about a certain part of your life, you're really excited about it when it's happening. Because you're like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening in my life right now. But then if you release that three years later, which I did for my first EP with this indie band, then you're like, yeah, that was me in college. And i am been out of college for a long time. And surprisingly, a lot of weird shit happens when you get out of college that makes you different than when you're in college. So, like, <laughs> definitely feel like this. But, like... When I'm singing it, it's like you're singing it. It's like I'm reminiscing in my head when I'm singing it on stage. But people hearing it might be like, oh, really? That's like that happened to you for real? Like that's going on right now? And, I'm, and I'll be like, no, it's not. I don't know. That was me a long time ago. It's hard.
1: Wow. I am so regretting right now that we didn't get a chance when you, we interviewed you to ask you more about music because there's a whole bunch of follow-up questions I have about this and like thinking about what you're singing on stage when you write your own lyrics and they're like you know based on your life and then that moment's over
0: it's weird it's it might have been because i came from like a slam poetry and like that type of way background where like everything for me is like i i'm very like image based like i see i see what it is and i'm the same way when like we're producing and working on a record where like i am I see the thing that I'm trying to say, and it's a weird way of thinking. But I guess what I would like to ask, because you were talking about like this baby deer mode, right? What, what types of, because I didn't break apart all the creatives you do, what type of different creative things do you do? When did you start? And what was it like coming into that where you feel like you're in that mode now in this stage? Like, what, what's, this, what's this about?
1: Yeah, Um, I'll start at the very beginning. So, I've always thought that I was a creative person, and I have been kind of a a writer for as long as I can remember. Like when I was a kid, I remember writing a lot of stories. I remember thinking I was going to grow up to be a writer, and when I was sort of a like preteen, I thought, okay, I'm not going to be like a fiction writer. I was like onto nonfiction. I'm going to be a journalist, and so I've. Always been a writer, and I've always thought, like, yes, writing is my art, and it's the only art that I'm good at. I did have a little bit of like skills in terms of I learned how to use a sewing machine when I was a kid. My mom, you know, pulled out the sewing machine and taught me how to use a sewing machine. And so I've always done a little bit of like that kind of thing, but it's always felt very sort of like functional and utilitarian for me. You know, being a nonfiction writer, my writing always sort of had purpose beyond just expressing myself. And with Mm. sewing, it was like, I don't know, you're making stuff that's functional and usable. Like, I remember making, you know, placemats for the dining room table when I was in a quilting class. Like, it just kind of was always, it was never about expressing myself artistically or sort of being an artist or doing something just for the sake of kind of like making something pretty or, you know, expressing how I felt about something or getting some emotions out until last November. Wow. So last year, gosh, last year, Laura and I started Creative Guts. I started talking to and, you know, meeting all of these like fabulously creative people and varying levels and tons of different mediums. And it was just so cool to finally be exposed to this world of creativity and, and, you know, art and meeting all of these people and hearing about their stories and hearing about folks who felt vulnerable or they, you know, weren't that confident about what they were doing or kind of whatever. And I was like, I want to do something. I'm going to like pick up something and I'm going to start, you know, arting. And I picked up cross-stitched and I didn't tell Laura, I don't know if she told you the story. I did not tell Laura that I started doing cross-stitch because I knew that she's going to respond, isn't she? I knew that she was going to be like, totally like, Holy cow. That's so cool. Like the goal, the mission of creative guts is to like encourage and empower people to be creative. Like, it totally like pulled an uno reverse card on me and like i i kept it a secret <laughs> from laura and my very first cross stitch which is good it looks good on the front if you turn it around it looks like a brand new cross stitcher who didn't understand how to take care of the back of her cross stitch but like whatever doesn't matter it's beautiful nobody ever looks at the back anyways right and i gave laura my very first cross stitch for christmas so i specifically wanted my first cross stitch to be one that i gave to laura for christmas i started it at like the end of november beginning of december i bought a, a fox kit because i knew you know laura loves foxes so it was cool um, and I started doing cross stitch and then I started dabbling in other embroidery. And then I learned at the start of the, the quarantine, one of our past guests, Sarah Kauf of Sarah Kauf Studio, who's a printmaker in Exeter. She did a, a block print tutorial. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm at home all the time. I'm bored. Like that sounds fun. It looks easy enough. I bought the supplies and I started doing some printmaking and I've made a few now and I'm totally like hyper focused, obsessed with it right now, like cross stitch who I'm like, so printmaking (laughs) right this second, but I'm sure that'll change. And then I bought some paper and some markers and some colored pencils and I just started like doing stuff. And I'm like spending all this time on Instagram looking like what other people do and getting inspired by it. And I'm starting to get to the point where um, my husband actually made fun of me for this yesterday. He was like holding his hands in a certain way. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Like somebody should take a picture of your hands the way that they are right now, because like that would make a really cool block print or a really cool drawing or a really cool like whatever. Like, I don't know. I just am starting to like see art and see shapes and whatever, instead of seeing like, you know, my husband's hands. Like I was at the eye doctor earlier today and they took a picture of my cornea and I looked at it and I thought like, what an awesome picture, like somebody should be an artist that just like does bizarre eyeball cornea pictures. It was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I'm still totally in the mode where like, I know that I'm still evolving. I know that I'm still learning. I really kind of don't know what I'm doing in some ways. And in other ways, I feel like I totally have a vision or an idea and I'm just kind of like, I'm just playing, you know, I'm experimenting and I'm totally uncomfortable. Like, I haven't posted basically anything except cross stitch on like Instagram, and I don't want to like sell any of my pieces because it's weird. Like, don't give me your money. I'm not like somebody worth giving money to or whatever. I just feel like weird about the label and weird about the idea of like, I don't know, but I'm having a freaking blast. And I feel like I'm learning something about myself that I didn't know before. I've always been kind of impatient. And I don't like learning new things because I like being good at stuff immediately. Yep. And it's like, it's, it's toxic. Like if I'm not good at something immediately, I like quit and that's so stupid. And I just like, I don't want to do things that are too hard because it's too hard. And that's so dumb. And I feel like I'm not pressuring myself at all with this like art thing. And I'm feeling super patient and I feeling like I'm not racing to get to the end. I'm enjoying the process. Like I'm enjoying the like slow steady marathon toward whatever cuz I don't even really have like an end goal in mind. Like marathon isn't even a particularly good metaphor for it because I think it's probably going to be more than 26.2 miles or whatever. Like I think it's going to be like this like lifelong race where I enjoy the process forever instead of thinking about like I can't wait to be good enough or like trying to sprint toward being like Good. Yes. You
0: know. Yes. Yeah. That. So that's
1: that's my whole story.
0: <laughs> we talk about that a lot on this show, where we talk about we definitely talk about patience, because I also am not good at patience, and I have learned that to do it, to set yourself up the way that you need to, to really attack something that you want, you have to have the patience, so that you. Like there, there are, there's no doubt, like patients with no action, if you're trying to get like a goal, if you do have a goal accomplished, like, or you have a goal that you want to accomplish, there's no doubt that you need action. So that's not like what I ever preach. I always get on people's cases about action too, but there's such a distinct line with like what you said. I, I, I truly want for everyone really with what you said, because first of all, I think like when we are most creative whenever, you know, you need some constraints, you need like things to like an amount of time or like a launch date or like, uh, you need things that like do force you to, to take the actions basically. But having that enjoyment for the process, no like definitive goal of just like, I'm not trying to make this anything more than what it is. That Is really the goal I think for everyone. Like no one has the goal of like I want to be a rock star someday, right? But they're not when they have that goal and they're like I. If they're not enjoying, you know, the times where they're doing tours inside a single van with like five other people, sweating their butts off, sleeping in a Walmart parking lot, if they don't enjoy doing that for ten years before they're the rock star where they can do the band, then it's like why do that 10 years of 100 years or less is 10% of your life you need to enjoy the process with what you are doing and if you're not then you need patience because like you have to you have to enjoy what you're doing even if you are working towards a goal you have to enjoy what you're doing so that is very that is awesome to hear that you are just like flat out like hey I uh, am just creating things I'm playing in the sandbox like adult sandbox world I'm just creating things and I'm just doing things and I am liking what I'm doing and I don't have a timeline where I'm going to be upset with myself for not doing a thing that is what I think everyone should be after that's really cool to hear
1: yeah. It's been really fun. And that sort of like impatience and frustration is precisely the reason that I don't know an instrument. Like I've picked up my husband's a musician. So I like, I've picked up his guitar like 8 million times, but the problem I've got, like, I've got like baby hands. These are my like teeny tiny hands and (laughs) you know, my fingers hurt and playing the guitar is hard. And I get to the part where like, there's a slide and I can't freaking do a slide. And I just, I don't know, I end up quitting. So my husband's like, that's, like, fine. Why don't you just try doing something else? Like finding something where you're enjoying the process of learning it, not just like, like you don't go into it with like an end goal of like, I, my end goal is I'm going to play guitar. It's like, if you don't enjoy the process of learning something like guitar, where it's going to take you, you know, a million plus hours to be great at it, then find something that you do enjoy the process of learning, Love that. which is why like, cross-stitch and printmaking makes so much sense to me because like printmaking is really fun to just kind of like dick around with. Like enjoy that process of like learning how to be something.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also important for like for those creatives out there because we talk on here all the time about like people who who want to go full-time with it, right? And I think that we've also talked about this before too, where we say, you know, if you work to get to a point where you're doing it full time and what you do, you don't enjoy now the art of it, then what is the difference between all the work that you put in, all the sacrifice that you put in to have the life that you wanted? And then you're doing something that you thought that you ha- wanted to do full time and you're not enjoying it. Then there's no difference between that or anything else. And you, right. people say like their their job that they hated and they went from that to like this huge, amazing thing of like working full time and the exact thing that they had is their dream that they've done forever that they love. And if they no longer like that anymore, then it's like, why bother doing it? There's no, there's no difference between those two lives. It's crazy. It's so important. Totally. Totally. Dang. Ruin
1: your like job and your hobby at the same time by combining them and hating both of them. Yeah. Right. Yep.
0: So what would you say, Sarah, just because it sounds like, and, and Sorry, I'm going to sidetrack myself again. Really quick, you said nonfiction writer before. Like, hey, I was really mm-hmm. grounded in nonfiction writing. And then what was the other thing that you were saying too?
1: Embroidery.
0: You said, t- and- oh yeah, yeah. You said, you, said, you said nonfiction writing and then like embroidery for like utilitarian purposes. Yeah, I okay. do so, think and- yes. that there's seeds of creativity in both of those things. You totally. can't, you can't ever, you know, for you to write nonfiction, you still have to write it in engaging fashion and pull someone along and put it in timelines and sync. And then embroidering, embroidery, utilitarian based <laughs> embroidery, you're still coming up with creative ways to be able to make different materials work or like, how am I going to make this work for this purpose and things like that? So it's like, it's really cool to hear these different seeds that were like inside you for your creative self. And then like now how you've blown up these different ways to to access it too. I don't know if that makes sense. That's how I was thinking about it when you were talking. But what would you say to to people, you know, you said like a year ago, things like really switched up for the way that you were approaching it and kind of getting into it. Say someone is that person out there where they're like, because you're talking on Creative Guts, we really want to get you to just go after it. Like, let's just try it. Let's just do it. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy this. What do you say to someone that like, they've thought about it? They're like, Hey, maybe I will, maybe I should try this thing. Or like, they're like, I know that I could be creative or like, no, I'm not creative. But like, you know, I've dabbled in this thing. Like, what do you tell them to be like, just do it, man? Like, just, just try this thing. Or like, what do you give to them as advice for, for getting into the, the, your way?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I think exposure is really important. So seeing stuff and getting inspiration from what you see and just kind of like just generally being exposed to it. So I would say first thing, like go on Instagram and follow a bunch of pages or follow a bunch of hashtags like and expose yourself to new stuff, like fill your feed with the kind of stuff that you want to see and like start to get inspired by what you're seeing so that you just kind of like. I don't know. And listen to Creative Guts podcast, like got to plug that like a good way to get exposed to a whole bunch of different mediums and like what they mean to people and how they feel about them is to like meet artists and meet creatives and like get to know them and ask them questions. And like Laura and I do that for you on Creative Guts so you can come listen to their answers over there. And then I would say just kind of like pick something But don't be married to it. Don't be like, I'm going to be a printmaker or I'm going to be a cartographer or I'm Mm. going to be an embroiderer. Like, just kind of pick something and start playing and see how you feel about it. And then maybe, like, put it down and pick up something else and see how you feel about that. And, like, learning how to do it is kind of – I don't know. It's it's really intimidating for somebody with, like, absolutely no art background – It's really intimidating to say, like, where do I even start? Like, what supplies do I need and where do I get them from? And when I first bought my printmaking supplies, I bought, like, total garbage, like, beginner, like, it could have been, like, a kit for kids. That's so fine. Like, I've upgraded my stuff now for printmaking because I'm, like, totally obsessed, which is, like, awesome. And now I've got these, like, you know whatever baby kid printmaking supplies and maybe I'll use those baby kid printmaking supplies to like teach someone else brand new how to print make or I can you know give them away to someone who's brand new that's totally cool but like the internet is so awesome like have you heard of the internet like it is full <laughs> of crap like just go on google and google like the internet printmaking google tutorial internet. <laughs> yeah <laughs> where is this internet machine that everybody talks what about what is this it's like full of like (laughs) tutorials and step-by-steps. And like, here are the basics that you need to know about literally everything. Like use this beautiful resource that you have and Google it. Like when, Oh, that was the other thing that I've learned in the past year. Speaking of is how to edit audio. Because when we first started, Laura knew how to do a little bit of audio editing. And so she was doing all of the editing episodes and she was super stressed out obviously because we're producing like at least an episode of week and we're like crazy ambitious people yep and i was like you know i could probably like learn how to edit audio i guess which really kicked off this whole thing because when i learned how to edit audio and i realized that it wasn't really that hard to like do the basics that i was like oh maybe i could do other stuff that i didn't know i could do before and like You know, Google was my friend and when I had issues I'd be like, Okay, Google, what's up? Like how to do this thing in Reaper. It was really no big deal. So just just start.
0: I tell people that Google should be their new mom. Yeah. Like don't don't tell your mom be like, Hey, I'm gonna go be this as a profession, then mom be like, based off of my living and what my parents said, that's not feasible. It might not be right. But if you're like, hey, I want to do this as a living to Google, Google will be like, all right, here's the people that are doing it. And you're like, damn, okay, Uh, these people are doing it. You read on it. You're like, how the fuck did they do it? And then they, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a non-biased way to just tell you this is the thing that you could do.
1: Totally, totally. And most of these things aren't like terribly expensive, you know, like maybe don't get into, you know, what's a really expensive hobby. Don't get into like... Maybe photography right off the bat, like but like. It's going to buy stitch? this
0: five thousand dollar Hasselblad and just rip it up, you yeah. know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, music. Yeah, don't go out and buy a brand new like awesome guitar. Here's but my like,
0: Gibson. Yeah,
1: yeah, cross stitch is cheap, and like printmaking, the supplies are pretty cheap. Like if budget is a concern, then just find a hobby that's kind of cheap. We actually talked to a someone on the podcast, uh, Marcia Wood Marinock, who uh, went to school for and was in ceramics. And it just like the barrier to like doing ceramics is like the space and the time and the money. It was just a lot. And so she ended up switching and doing mostly painting and printmaking. And like, that's totally cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, Really quick, I definitely like want to get into some of this housing stuff because we were already chatting on it and I know that I want to talk to you about it. But like, really quick, I would be remiss if I didn't ask because Laura planted it and didn't give me the answer. And I don't think I heard the episode where you talked about it. But why did you instantly say yes when she walked in the room? It was like, do you want to start a podcast? And you're just like, yep. Just like stepbrothers, you're like, do you want to stack? Do you want to like be best friends? Yep. How did you answer that way to like be like I just want to start this podcast like out of nowhere like that?
1: That's right. I tuned into Laura's episode last week on Instagram live and she said, "Oh, you'll have to ask Sarah that question." And I thought, "Totally. Absolutely." Ask so it. <laughs> I am no. I was uh quite a bit of a workaholic. So I was in school forever. And then I went to grad school and I was working full time at the same time. And then, you know, I got my, my first job out of grad school, my current job. And I don't know, I just, I worked all the time and it felt like, and it was starting to feel like there was this hole in my life of like, who am I outside of my job title? And frankly, for I think a long time, I was happy to just be my job title and I... I love my work. And this is a good, you know, transition to that. Like I love my job and I love my work. And so for me, sort of being that as like an identity was okay. And then I realized that it wasn't, and I wanted something more. And I joined Leadership Seacoast. It is a, a leadership program on the Seacoast. There's tons of them. There's a Leadership in New Hampshire that's statewide. And then there's tons of little like, you know, pocket lens, Leadership Concord and whatever. Um, all, actually, I think they're all over the country. So there's these like little leadership programs and each day is devoted to a topic. And I signed up for it and I was going through it and of course there was, you know, The economy day, and I was like, awesome. Like, this is totally my jam. Like, you know, economic development is what I do every day. And, you know, there's the local government day where I'm like, great, government is what I do all the time. And there were days that I was like, okay, this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, and I really like it, and I'm glad I'm learning about it. And one of those days was Arts and Culture Day. And I just, I had a blast and I totally fell in love with it. And I thought like, if I'm going to have an identity outside of being, you know, a housing person, that maybe my identity can be related to this like, you know, arts and culture topic. And I was totally set on like finding something to do with my life outside of work that wasn't related to work. And so when Laura said, like, want to start a podcast, I was like, oh, cool. Like, it was kismet. I was like, yep, exactly. That's it. So that was why I said yes.
0: That's crazy. It was like the perfect timing to ask you that based off of what you were experiencing in your life.
1: Yeah. If she had asked me at a different time, I don't know what I would have said. I would have been like, no, I'm too busy. Or I work a bajillion and a half hours a week, so I can't.
0: Yes. If you can't, it worked out perfect. If you can't separate like who you are from like what you do, you will always have something is an issue. Like it it just is exhausting to live that way. I'm a workaholic. I probably still face exactly what you talk about all the time because I really do love it that much, where I'm like, Oh, Sunday morning, five AM, do you wanna edit audio? Yep. That's exactly what I want to do. I wanna literally wake up drink my coffee and edit audio. That's literally what I want to do when I wake up. But I have a wife and I have a dog and a cat and I kayak and I like hike and I go like remote camping and I play music with my band that does not probably ungenerates me money. Right. So like there's just stuff that you, you have to do just even if you like just love it. It's like you just have to you have to find something that And that's also cool for you and for other people. Like when that stuff happens, that's what mixes together to make you like really, really individual because there's probably not a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, I do like this type of creative. I do a podcast and I do like, housing and economic development, they're like, great, who else does that? Do you want to start a club of like two people on the planet? Like every person becomes such an individual when they start thinking that way, where they're like, what do I really, really care about for work and let's go do it. And then what do I really want to be in every other aspect of my life? And what's that become together? That's pretty, that's interesting to hear that.
1: Yep. It's totally helped me avoid burnout too. Like being a workaholic is fun. I've really enjoyed it. But having a way to just like clear my head and like, you know, turn that pressure pressure valve is just made a world of difference to me in terms of my like, you know, my mental health and my ability to like unplug at the end of the day. Like I don't want to go home and be like, I don't know what to do because I don't have any hobbies. So I'm just going to watch TV or worse. I'll just do more work Yeah, there's always more work that can be done, but it's not really the best way to spend your entire waking hours.
0: 100%. Right on. All right. So I definitely like literally just hearing about where you're living at, that got me kind of fueled up because (laughs) I also have a really weird living situation. Not that yours is weird. It's just non-traditional. It's non-traditional to what I've heard from my friends. And that's what I love about it. Because I think it's really smart and it's really interesting. Do you want to just, you can share how, where you're living at if you want, or do you want to just kind of like talk a little bit about like what, what is workforce housing and, and, and especially like if you guys are in New England, like we have a pretty New England base with the podcast. And sorry to people hanging out in California and other spots. Like I know that we have people all over, but it is housing is no joke in this country. Yeah. If you're from outside of the U S and you're on any of the coasts at all, there's also like obviously hot spots throughout the country, but it is no joke, a huge factor in like the way that you literally live your entire life or make decisions of like how anything will happen. Do you want to talk like, what have you been doing to get creative with your housing? Like, what do you think in that space? I would love to hear it.
1: Totally. So, um, I'll tell you all first about where I live because it's really cool. So I live in a church. Uh, Apparently, churches have a position on their staff called a sexton. So my husband and I are the church sextons. Sometimes... I'm just the sexton's wife, depending on how conservative the cute little old church lady is that you're talking to. But (laughs) Erin and I are the sextons of the church. And so what it means is that we're sort of like the caregivers. My husband mows the lawn and does the weed whacking. And, you know, we have to unlock the doors in the morning and lock them both up at night. Occasionally, we'll set up for events and we take out the recycling. It's a pretty easy part-time job. But in exchange, we get a free apartment. Now, I live on the seacoast where the median rent is $1,500 a month, so I would say that it's a pretty well-paid part-time job for free living. Yes, so, yeah, it's really fantastic. And it's been really fun. We've been here for about three years, and we have a little bunny with us, and it's the first apartment that I've ever lived in where I am allowed to paint the walls, whatever color I want. So like, just coming from like a kind of a creative perspective and like a grown-up perspective, like it is the bomb. It is the best place ever. Um, I want to hear about your unique living situation.
0: Yeah, I, it's not as unique as yours, but it was like, I had to, I, I think I have been facing what you are working to correct or or work on in, in what you do. That's why I really wanted to get into it because I did a lot of the standard things when I got out of school. I also did work full time while doing my master's. So I have hella appreciation for you uh for doing that that is it is a brutal life to live um but I got out of school and I bought a house and the overhead w- like like I bought it originally just being like listen I want if I'm going to pay this amount per month I want to own something that I'm getting equity in right so I I wanted to get the house I did want to get that but I did really do it in a very standard way where like I didn't think of any other way, like how is this going to financially benefit me? I just was like, okay, if I have to pay that amount, I'd rather have a house than an apartment. That was just my viewpoint on it. So I bought my house. Meg and I got married. That was awesome. Like All those were right decisions for the time. But Meg ended up wanting to go to vet school. And we knew that, but like it actually was happening. And the way that we could actually achieve it is there's no in-state vet school for New Hampshire. You have no in-state tuition for vet school in New Hampshire. So the only close vet school was Worcester, where we would have had to move anyway, because she would have commuted like two hours. So we're already getting ready. We're going to have to move. Then, you know, it got really competitive, like how she actually got into vet school that she could basically, because she's out of state everywhere in every state, including their surrounding states, including Massachusetts, she's out of state. Their considerations are literally like we will allow a hundred out of state students for a thousand that are entered or whatever for every school. And that's a hundred or fifty people from the entire country because everyone's out of state. So even when you're applying to Tufts, out of state. So it just started getting weird. We we're like, okay, we're gonna have to blow some stuff up. So we ended up buying we she got into school in Tennessee. We bought a property in Tennessee, and we then, after being married and living in the same place for like four years, Now she lives in Tennessee and we have two tenants down there now in a property that we renovated and got going near her campus in a house. And I live in a rented room, a single rented room in a house with three other roommates who are awesome, awesome people in in the New Hampshire, uh, like Seacoast here. And um, the rent is like very, very cheap. And so that's awesome for like trying to save up to try to do the next steps here. But it's like now my next step is she's going to continue. She has three more years of this. This is year one of us living in two different parts of the country and then like flying back and forth to see each other or being back on vacations or whatever. I'm trying to save up to get another property here in New Hampshire or Maine. Like hopefully that will actually be happening soon where I'm going to get a house or a duplex of some sort and find a way to get tenants in there. And I'll take whatever the worst, shittiest piece of apartment or whatever is left on that property to go live in. I will go live in a dumpster somewhere on that property to make it so that I can actually have a recording studio and like a podcasting center or something there to like actually open a business. And these are the things that I have to be able to do to allow my wife and I to actually pursue the things that we went to school for and want to do in life at all. And I think that is a direct correlation with housing. (laughs) It's like, that is all like, how do we just make it so that we can afford college debt and housing in New England to both the two of us not go do the thing that we don't want to do to make the money that we have to to be able to support this life. And that is why I was really interested in hearing you talk about that because like I'm, very passionate about it. We're like the worst thing to me in the world is to wash someone on fire. First of all, with passion, they're just on fire and then they're amazing at what they do. And then they fight and they fight and they fight and they, they are actually doing that workaholic. They are like doing that crazy shit to make it happen. And then after three years of it, of just getting shit on by all of these systems and these hard things that are in place just by the nature of it is, they bail and they go do something that they don't like. It, life just happens, and then they just go off and do that for the rest of your life. And it, it's really sad to, it's really sad to watch someone like that. Where you're like, I know that this person is unbelievable at this thing that they could do, and they get squashed just because. You know, there's a million things about this country and this portion of the the place where I live at. I love all of this stuff. I really love this country. I'm super passionate about New England. But there are just things that are innate pieces of the way that we've set up the way that we live that make it increasingly difficult to be a small business owner, increasingly difficult to be a creative in any type of full-time capacity. And it's difficult when that's your passion and that's your life of... I, I will do that stuff, no problem. I'll do any of those things to make this happen. But I just don't know that it has to be that way to do that.
1: Yeah, it definitely doesn't. That's a wild story. And I actually, I think it answers a question that I've been meaning to ask you, which was, what is your connection to Tennessee? Because, of course, your latest single, Brad Wing's latest single, was called Nashville. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Nashville's a cool city. And I think I answered my own question there.
0: Yeah. um, There's, on that EP, there's like a lot of different songs. It's all really about just the stage of life. It really doesn't involve Tennessee too much at all.
1: That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. um, So just in case there's anybody listening out there on Instagram Live or, you know, on the podcast later, New Hampshire has a wicked housing crisis. And, like, the cost of housing is absurd. And a big part of the problem is that the supply is just ridiculously limited. The state is, like... 20,000 housing units behind and right now during coronavirus a lot of stuff is you know we're falling more behind because a lot of stuff isn't getting built and a lot of towns aren't even processing applications and getting stuff done. I was trying to decide how sort of measured I was going to be talking about housing given the medium and you know like I'm probably not going to like share this episode widely on the workforce housing coalitions, you know, social media. So I'll tell you and like cut right to the tra- chase that the problem is that our zoning sucks. Like towns have created land use regulations that are garbage and exclusionary and they make it so that it is impossible for a developer to build housing that isn't unaffordable to most people and like That sucks. And a lot of people, I know that there are some, I'm a bit of a market urbanist, but I know that there are some people out there who say, like, you know, that the market will take care of it. The market can't take care of it because towns are artificially, like, using their exclusionary zoning practices to make it impossible for the market to respond to demands. Like, they're is demand out there like look at dave and i we are proof there is demand out there for affordable housing for housing and i'm not even talking about like i'll backtrack a little bit and tell you about the coalition and i'll tell you about some of these like definitions because i feel like it's good to know but like I want to, like, cut right to the call to action, which is that, like, your advocacy, like, and by you, I mean, like, literally every single person who's impacted by this problem or, you know, is anybody who lives in housing or lives in a neighborhood and wants to be surrounded by, like, you know, diverse people, like, your advocacy is needed. Like, your job is to reach out to your You know, your local decision makers, your elected officials to if you really hate yourself and have a ton of extra time to sit on your planning board and be part of the like decision making process, especially (laughs) if you're young, because there's so few young people sitting in those chairs. And unfortunately, decisions are being made by people who haven't bought a house in 30 years and the market's a completely different thing now than it was then. But also because I guarantee you that people who sit on your planning board are saying annoying things like, well, all millennials want to live in tiny houses and other, you know, obnoxious generalizations about an entire generation. So get involved. Use your voice. Even if like... You know, you don't know anything about planning. Like sometimes my planning board talks about trees and stuff, and you know, I take a nap because I don't know anything about trees and I don't have anything interesting to add to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what kind of trees you plant, to be totally honest. As long as they're like green and they have like you know, provide
0: oxygen for me, please. Branches, Just keep yeah. providing <laughs> oxygen. Keep being there, you know. Super down with the shade. I'm, yep. I like that pollen. Like I'm, I'm yeah. like, I get it. I'm on board do that thing like
1: i like the kind that has like bark and like leaves and stuff you know
0: <laughs> super tree like you know
1: so i'll back up a bunch cuz you know i wanted to get out there like cut right to the chase like zoning sucks everybody go out and tell your local officials that zoning sucks and it needs to be changed it really just is sort of like The moral of the story. So I am the executive director of the Workforce Housing Coalition of the Greater Seacoast. So we're a regional coalition and we work all over the Seacoast. It's most of Stratford County, most of Rockingham County, and then maybe all of Rockingham County, and then a teensy tiny bit of Hillsborough County. So I get to work in communities all the way from like Nashua, New Hampshire, up to, you know, like Rochester, Farmington on the main border. Wow. Um, It's really fun and also a ton of work. It's a fantastic organization. And my job in a nutshell, so our mission is to engage people and educate people and advocate for better land use regulations. And a big part of that is like encouraging people who are pro-housing to be good advocates and encouraging people who are against housing to, you know, maybe change their mind a little bit and encourage communities and give them the resources that they need through technical assistance and education and, you know, resources like grant dollars. We can hook them up with some resources that are available to them to hire a consultant. It really is about helping towns change their zoning, which is a super, super tall order the like reality in New Hampshire is that we need more housing period and it being workforce housing versus just like regular housing that happens to be kind of affordable to like you know median income earners is totally does not matter um, we really need to see more housing and we need a more diverse supply of housing but really we need a bigger supply of housing so workforce housing I'm gonna break down some of these definitions because people get confused yeah workforce housing is Housing that is so it's rental housing that is affordable to people making up to this up to sixty percent of the area median income okay. in my neck of the woods, it is people making up to like fifty five thousand dollars and that translates to a rent of like thirteen fifty so workforce housing is not in any way shape or form like low income or subsidized housing or anything along those lines just to sort of like. Clarify that, and it's for sale housing, so workforce housing is not just rental it's for sale housing that's affordable to people making up to a hundred percent of the area median income. I think I looked up the the upper limit on prices is three hundred and sixty four thousand dollars, so it's people making up to like ninety thousand dollars or so a year households, I should say,
0: yeah. Okay. Those
1: are gro- gross rental costs. So they include, you know, utilities on the rental side and ta- taxes on the for sale side. And it's the upper limit. Obviously, what we really need is a range of housing at a range of prices, you know, at or below or right around those numbers. That we need housing for like regular Joes to live in, you know? Um, and obviously, then affordable housing can be used interchangeably with. Workforce housing and low income housing. I, as a rule, try not to use the phrase affordable housing because it doesn't really mean anything, and I don't really understand. It just basically means that, like, you know, you're not spending more than thirty percent of your income on housing, which is kind of like the the well known standard for affordable. Yeah. Just
0: trying to make it so that like the normal average person living in this area isn't house poor, and it just makes it so that that controls their life by just paying for their
1: exactly. Place to live. Exactly. Which stops them
0: from doing everything else that they could possibly do ever.
1: And I think the something about the phrase workforce housing or something like there's something about sort of the complication of this issue that makes it difficult for people to like have an emotional connection with the issue of housing affordability. And I mean, it shows in a lot of ways, like people are either like confused or they get their backup or like they're a little bit defensive. Thinking that we're talking about like low-income housing, we are really talking about like the kind of housing that most people live in. Most people live in workforce housing. Even if they bought their house like 30 years ago, it was probably affordable to them when they bought it and they were probably, you know, right. median income earners or so. Like we really are talking about Pretty normal housing for pretty normal people. But think about your house and where you live and how much it means to you in every single way. Like, I mean, like having a place that is safe and desirable to go home to, having a place where like you can put down roots, being secure in your housing so that like you know you're not going to get evicted and you know that you know, you're able to put down roots in this community and you're able to stay there and think about like what it means for our neighborhoods. New Hampshire has this issue where a lot of our neighborhoods are just like, they're so homogeneous. Like we have all these age-restricted housing developments. And like, I look at Durham as an example a lot, because this is where I live. We have students and we have older people and it's not a very economically diverse community. You know, when we're talking about our full-time seasonal, I mean, our full, sorry, our full-time year-round residents, like we're talking about people who have a pretty good amount of money. You know, I live in a pretty wealthy community and it sucks living here now temporarily as a, not a renter, but you know, a renter and knowing that there's no way that I could afford a house here. And so Like, why should I, as a young person who can't afford a house here, why should I give back to the community? Why should I get invested here? Why should I join the planning board? Why should I care what happens to this community if they don't care enough to let me live here? But I am, anyways, because, you know, I don't know. I can't help myself, I guess. So I sit on the stupid planning board and the economic development committee, which I love, and the housing committee, which I really love. But like thinking about ways to diversify your housing supply and make it so that it's more affordable. The problem is that the solutions that you hear so often from people who don't get it are totally oblivious and ignorant of like the economics of development. Like, so like developers are not evil. We like developers. They're good people. They built the house that we live in. We love them. They're our friends. But obviously, like any other business person, in order to build a housing development, they have to be able to make a profit on it. Like, that's just like Good business sense That's just and normal actually, business. <laughs> right? We don't actually want them to lose a profit on their housing. So, what we need to do is change it so that our zoning laws make it possible for a developer to build a project that is financially feasible and allows some like affordable housing. And that is Totally, completely possible. So if anybody lives in a community where a local official has told them otherwise, they're wrong. You can tell them that they're wrong. You can have them call me and I will explain to them that they are wrong. It is totally possible to use your zoning to leverage what you have, which is you know land and density and control to get what you want, which is housing that's affordable to regular people. And it doesn't have to be ugly and it's not going to make your property taxes go up and it's not going to make your property values go down. Like, all of these things are just like obnoxious myths about workforce housing that aren't really true. So I could go on and on and on for hours, but I'm sure you have some specific questions. So I should let you actually like ask them.
0: I do. I have one that <laughs> rides right off of this topic and directly relates to what you also talk about. And I have one that's really selfish to me, but I think that other people will benefit from the answer to it. Okay. So the, f- the first one will just be riding the wave. Like we're just going right on is, is I, I can hear the passion in something that you've been working on for some time and like are ultra super sensitive aware of like what is happening, right? So also writing for the Stay Work Play and, and I think that I might be the perfect person to, to really talk about this because it's affecting me in the exact way that I think that you're preaching against, where stay-work-play is about like, hey, there's a lot of amazing things about New Hampshire. You should stay here, right? Workforce housing is like, can we please get rid of this problem that's making it so that all the young people leave because they all leave because of this issue? Do you see the correlation of of what you're saying is this why people get educated in New Hampshire where they have the ability to go from high school into college which is funded by debt or funded by their parents so they're not facing this issue yet in a town like Durham or in a town like Plymouth or in a town like wherever right where our state schools are and then when they get out and they say great I am educated in this thing I want to get to work and live in this area because I love Portsmouth, or because I love Concord, or I love whatever. Do they leave because of this exact issue? Like, like what is 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 Stay Work Play and this workforce housing issue? Are they really in pure correlation of what the issue is in New Hampshire? Like, what are you seeing from that?
1: Totally, totally. So Stay Work Play has done a couple processes. One was a survey. One was sort of in person listening sessions where they asked young people across the state and it was, you know, statistically significant results. They said, you know, what is it about New Hampshire that makes you want to leave? What is it about New Hampshire that makes you want to stay? Like, if you left New Hampshire, what would the reason be? And it's like over and over and over again, affordable housing continues to be the top reason why young people would leave the state. And that stinks. And Yes. And I think that that's why, so one of the, the columns that I write for Stay Work Play is on the topic of housing. And so it's like, you know, that's totally related and totally part of their mission. And they've made this goal of doing advocacy work and Stay Work Play is such an awesome organization. They're doing this advocacy for housing related legislation, you know, like they have made this one of part of their mission because it's critical to recruiting and retaining and attracting young people to the state. To and there's them. there's other factors there too. You know, like wages being one and we have a bit of a skills gap where we have way more people looking for high skilled jobs than we have high skilled jobs, but we have way more people. I always get this backwards when I try to say it out loud versus writing it down. We have all of these people who are like we basically we need to upskill some people. We have way too many people who are qualified for, you know, low skill jobs, which is not a term that I appreciate at all, because like literally talking about our essential workers who have worked through the entire pandemic, like low skilled my butt. Um, But we have all these people who are like have low skills. They're not like, you know, an educated part of our workforce who could be upskilled to fill a bunch of those like high skill jobs that we have open. And so that's like something that we need to do too. But yeah, our housing stock needs to change. And a big part of it is that I hope nobody listens to this that gets super offended by it. But a big part of it is that we need the people who are making decisions to change because I hear so much stuff about, you know, Millennials and what millennials want. And if I'm talking to, I have like a couple examples come to mind talking to a planning board in a community that's on the Massachusetts border, and they don't see the point in changing their zoning to allow for more affordable housing. Because millennials don't want to live here anyway, because millennials only want to live where there are bars and a nightlife. And that's just the kind of like crap that makes me super mad because like, first of all, millennials are old. Yeah. like we are not in our early 20s that is just not the case we are like millennials are 24 to 38 Like there are totally millennials who want to live in rural places and are looking for affordable houses in good school systems because they've either already had kids or they're thinking about having kids like this idea that millennials just like only want to live where there are bars and a nightlife and that's why rural communities shouldn't change their zoning is just like a load of crap yeah. so <laughs> that's why we need younger people's voices, both, you know, at public hearings, but also on the other side of the table. If, you know, again, if you have the time and are willing to, and can tolerate being on a planning board, cause it certainly is something
0: sometimes. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I am so diehard New Hampshire where like, I think a lot of people that grew up here they appreciate the lakes and they appreciate the hiking or the hunting or like the fire pits and like, like they just appreciate this way of life. Don't get me wrong. Do I think that millennials are still driving down to Boston to go light it up for a weekend? Sure. Of course sure. they are. Of course they're going to go out. But that's the thing is like New Hampshire has a lot of the things. Like if you want to go hang out in Portsmouth for the weekend, there's Portsmouth is like a really safe awesome down, like there's things like that littered throughout New Hampshire. There's places that people can go and get what they want in that way, but they're still leaving for a reason. And it's not that it's not that they're not getting what they want. It's just, it's, it is coming out with the relative amount of tuition debt put on top of a housing market that is against them. It's just not, financially feasible to live a life like that so they're just taking the easier way out which is just finding another place where like it can can it happen here of course it can there's there are places to make it work there are places to put the things in line but uh i mean i'm passionate on 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 definitely that and i think a reason why i i believe that i was a person that should have this conversation is like i i have tried to not leave my new hampshire for my entire life because I genuinely like it here. and people in my industry for my entire life have told me to move to LA or move to New York or Nashville, and I've stopped it because I'm like, listen, we have technology. I can live wherever the hell I want. And with a laptop, I can sit on an airplane and do the same shit that you're doing. So like I keep fighting back on be like, listen, hear you. Networking networking's amazing. Like there's no doubt that in those cities you can really just make some crazy shit happen. but I want to live here and I can do it here. But then what happens is that right there, where like I'm doing this weird stuff to find a way to do it because there's like no other way. So I guess on that note, too, because I think that this hurts people who are trying to start small business owners as a millennial in particular. It's hard to be a millennial with that much advertent debt living under literally, it's just a cash flow game. Like what is coming in, what's going out how much can I really control of what's coming in and going out? Like how far can I really bring my overhead? I'm passionate about opening a business. How far can I bring my overhead down? The threshold is not crazy low to then start a business with your debt and what you can control for a reduction to be able to then save and then give yourself a launch period. With zoning, do you think that, like I'll tell you, I think I've told you exactly what I want to do. How hard is it in terms of in New Hampshire for zoning, having a business on your property? It seems awful to me from the outside, but you might know a lot more than me from it. To be able to start any type of small business on a property with any, with any type of proximity to where you're living at, are those zoning, because you were talking about zoning being a big issue, is that incredibly hard to do in New Hampshire?
1: It's hard to say. So it depends on the town. Some towns are obviously a lot better than others. And if I had to, like, you know, give a shout out to the towns that are doing a really awesome job, I would include like Exeter and Dover and Rochester on that list. Like, those are towns that are just like, in terms of zoning, you guys are slaying it. Keep being great. I'm sorry that you're doing all of the work for the region. But it also depends on the zone. And so there are totally like mixed use zones where you can combine residential and commercial. So that's an opportunity to do that. And some communities in their residential zone will allow some degree of like home occupation kind of thing. So you can run a business, say, out of your house. But it depends on the town and the zoning. And so, I don't know, it depends, I guess, on the, like, the town. what town are you looking in and what zone is it in? And, like, it can look at the zoning. And the best thing to do, I think, is to talk to the so, sort of, like, the economic development person in your community if there is one and find out what they think about it. But you're so spot on. So none of this stuff is in a vacuum. When you're talking about these high housing costs for millennials and education debt, and we're in a state that has, you know, still continues to have low wages in comparison to the states around us, and, like, God forbid you have children and, like... You know, you have childcare costs too. That's the same thing as college. And oh no, do not have any health problems because that would just be like <laughs> absurd. So yeah, I mean, it's stacked against you. Maybe one That sounded one like of a Billy things, Mays pitch. <laughs> like, I try.
0: <laughs> and we're gonna just throw in those healthcare costs right on top too. Are you so pumped with your education debt, your housing crisis? And all the other things you're trying to do, well, I'll do one better for you. I'm going to throw a free healthcare cost on top. <laughs> Millennial Life 2020. <laughs>
1: call now in the next 10 minutes and you could get a free healthcare cost supplies are limited.
0: <laughs> if you're not excited now, you have 20 minutes and we'll throw in a, a pandemic that will hit another recession for your life again within an 8 year period.
1: <laughs> um yeah, what the hell? How many recessions have are like millenni- the millennial generation going to have to suffer through? I'm only 30. Like that's just <laughs> But okay, I'm with you. So I'm also a New Hampshire native. I've lived here my entire life. I have literally lived. I have no shame about this. People have tried to make me feel bad before. I do not feel bad about this. You can try. I like. I will challenge your listeners to try to make me feel bad about this. I have lived in four towns. I grew up in Nottingham. I moved to Dover. I lived in Newmarket for one year. And I've lived in Durham now for three years. That's it. That is the entire list of places that I lived, but I totally love this place. I feel like if you're born where you want to be, then like awesome. And I don't think that like traveling makes you like, or I, you know, I've traveled, but I don't think like living outside of like where you were born makes you like somehow a better person as much as like people have tried to convince me of that before. Like I love this stupid state, but I grew up in a super rural community and I had an Epic childhood exploring the woods in my super rural community. So like I want, I'm not a, I'm not a Boston millennial. I'm not a nightlife millennial. You know, I am, I mean, I'm 30. I maybe used to be a Boston millennial. I used to be a a nightlife mill. a nightlife millennial. Like I'm a rural millennial, I want to live in a rural place. I'm thinking about having babies. Like I want those babies to explore the woods behind their like big rural house, like I did when I was a kid. You know, I want for my kids what I had and. So, you know, but our rural communities in New Hampshire need to let me live there. They need to make it affordable enough for somebody with a master's degree who's married to somebody with a full-time job and a bachelor's degree to be able to live there. Like, we're both hardworking people, and it's ridiculous that our housing costs have gotten so absurd that, like, people like us can't afford to live in so many places. It's just kind of nutty. Sorry. Whew, rant.
0: So good, though. I'm like, I'm sweaty from
1: like my own ranting.
0: I'm sweaty because my room has no AC and I'm on the top floor, but (laughs) just as much from the conversation. (laughs) All right. So Sarah, like I legitimately think that if I had like a coffee with you and talked about this, I would sit there at the table like three hours past the coffee because I'm so passionate about this too and didn't know that you were wrapped up in all this until I started learning more about you. So it's really like fun. But I do want to cap this episode out because we (laughs) I never go this long and this is the second episode in a row. We're hitting like an hour and a half. We've got five questions I got to ask you at the end though.
1: Okay. All right, right, right. I knew this. We got to do these legit. We got to do them
0: legit. Five questions at the end. Like (laughs) five questions like whatever's at the top of your head. Cause we're, we're hanging out, you know, which is cool.
1: <laughs> I know the feeling when you're the one who edits the episode and you're like, why did I let it go on for that freaking long? Now I have to edit it all.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay.
1: I'm ready and I'm going to be rapid.
0: Okay. Along the way in either your creative, the podcast, or what you're doing for work now, what is, if you could take the lessons that you've learned so far, and automatically give them to someone as a gift. They just got it, and they just like, boom, got it. Without living something that you had, what is the worst thing that you've done where you're like, yes, learn this lesson that I learned from living this, but if you don't have to do it to learn the lesson, don't do it because it sucks.
1: So if I could have somebody learn from my mistakes, basically, right? Yeah. Okay. Um...
0: Worst thing, the worst thing.
1: I tend not to make a lot of mistakes. I don't like making mistakes, so I just, you know, don't do it. That's totally a <laughs> quote from my husband. He says that all the time It's so annoying. Um, gosh, what is the worst thing? I mean, I've screwed up a couple times really bad at work, but that's just because I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to some parts of my job.
0: <laughs> Fair.
1: Um, I would, I don't know. I don't know. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) Is there any like moment along the way in any of those three things that you were like, man, that sucked. And you think back on it, you're like, I definitely learned a lot from it. But like, man, that really sucked.
1: Actually, yes. You know what I'm feeling really bad about right now? Um Laura and I, Creative Guts, we do these mini episodes called Creative Catalogs. This is a perfect answer. I should have thought of this immediately. Cut out all that other part where I didn't know. Um so Laura I and not- I do these mini episodes called Creative Catalogs and we use them as an opportunity to feature artists that we really like. And so we're both following just like a ton of cool artists and other creative people. And like, we listen to other people's podcasts and this is our opportunity to be like, Hey, listeners, here are our recommendations for you. And after, uh, you know, all of the things that have happened in the United States over the past couple of weeks, I had this sort of realization that I have basically featured only white artists and it has not been a super diverse series on the podcast and I got so what I did was I started following a bunch of like black art curators and like black art hashtags to literally diversify my feed so that I'm being exposed to more art like none of this was intentional. I didn't mean to only find and feature white artists. Yeah. I don't know why Instagram's algorithm is so racist. Like I follow lots of art related, you know, hashtags. I feel like I should have been finding these more diverse artists, but I wasn't. And it was because I wasn't intentional about I wasn't intentional about diversifying my feed and making sure that the people that I was seeing and the people that I was featuring was diverse, and I've totally changed that I'm following a ton of diverse artists now, but I kick myself now for not being more intentional about that from the beginning and not putting an emphasis on being diverse in this particular series i've always thought of myself as being someone who's pretty cognizant of this kind of stuff, and I just I don't know. It just never crossed my mind and I feel awful about it. So diversify your feed, expose yourself to artists of varying, you know, colors and ethnicities, et cetera. And like, just, you know, be more open to learning about and seeing more art and whatever it is that you're into from, from people of different backgrounds.
0: That is super relevant. And I think like everyone can do that. I know that I have to. It's the same exact way, you don't mean it. And like, I don't think that way. Like I am just not that person, but it definitely happens. And then that makes you like super aware of being like, holy shit. These are the problems that we're talking about. So yeah, flip side to it. Uh, what is the best thing that you've come up with along the way where you're like, if you do this earlier or something like that, that could just make it so much easier for you. Like, definitely do this.
1: Pick up an art. It doesn't even matter what it is. Pick up anything. Learn something. And don't like learn it to be great at it. Learn it just to like, learn it. Just enjoy the learning process. Learn it. Because as soon as you are like exposed to like a little tiny piece of it, as soon as you give yourself just a little bit of experience learning an art form, you'll be instantly more confident and more empowered to learn other art firms. So just just learn it. Just pick up something. I don't even care what it is. You don't even have to care what it is. Just pick it up.
0: Awesome. I agree with that. Definitely go at the end of this podcast, just go pick something up. Do it. Do it. You won't know. Do it. (laughs) So I'm going to change it up. I'm really sorry that I'm going to do this to you, but I'm going to change up a question that I usually ask in my five just because. I asked myself this other day and it kind of slapped me a little bit. So Uh-oh. sorry, not, not out of, uh, not out of, uh, anger to you just because,
1: Uh Oh,
0: what is, what do you feel like you have to do before you die?
1: <gasps> oh, um,
0: what has to happen?
1: The first thing that came to mind and you told me to say the first thing that came to mind was have babies and I felt really silly about that but You should not. Um <laughs> definitely not. Uh I want to buy a house. I I don't know. I how like boring and I would like to buy Anything. a house and have babies and a uh, like white picket fence, you know? Like that is as lame and vanilla as it gets, but that's just a fact.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer. I do. I think that that question is a really difficult question and I've been writing it in my journal a lot so that like at night times that I wake up and get hit by it and I forget that I wrote it and every day that I do get hit by it I don't do it every day but like when I do that there's just something about that question where it's like I don't know it's it's a very uh it's very different when you're just looking throughout your week and all the other stuff like to like answer that question and be like, yeah, I have a finite amount of time to do the things.
1: Yeah, right. Well, crazy. So uh, Emily Aborn, who was on the show like what, three episodes she ago? She was
0: on my show.
1: Yeah, your show. Yeah.
0: She's awesome. <laughs> um
1: she posted something on Instagram today about like creating a 40 before 40 list, sort of like a bucket list of things to do before 40, and I read her caption and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." It was about skydiving specifically, which I've already done and have no interest in doing again. It is a stupid thing to do. Jump wow. out of a plane on purpose. Oh my god. Why?
0: <laughs> really? Okay. Wow. Okay. I've
1: done it I've done it twice. The first time I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The second time I was like, I was, like, in the middle of jumping out of the plane, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why would anybody jump out of a plane on purpose? Planes are meant to stay in the air. Why jump out of it? It just, I don't know. I outgrew it, I guess. But, um But it got me thinking, like, maybe I should have, now I'm 30, I just turned 30 in January, like, now that I'm 30, maybe I should have a 40 before 40 list. And then I was thinking about, like, what do I really want to accomplish by the time I'm 40? And I was like, oh, well, I want to have kids and I want to move into a house. And that was my entire list because I was like, otherwise, I don't know. Like, I'll just, I'll get there when I get there. And like, I'll see it when I see it. And I'll know it when I know it, you know, I don't really like want to actually plan out what it is that I want to do before I die. I just want to like do it.
0: (laughs) That's a good way to live. So it's going to get easier and easier with the last two. What is a resource that you recommend to anyone? It could be a podcast, a book, a video, a website, like what's one resource in creative or podcasting or this housing like the the different things that you care about that you would recommend to someone doesn't have to be one for each. It can just be like what's a resource you recommend to the audience?
1: did Laura say creative guts
0: probably I okay. don't remember
1: so I would obviously say creative guts, and if Laura didn't, I'm very disappointed in her, like the creative guts podcast is your resource for like you know artists and other creative people in New Hampshire, I would also say though, if you were like. At all, like, if your interest was piqued by my rant about housing, like, there is plenty more where that came from. Connect with me through the Workforce Housing Coalition. I can give you, like, you know, a volunteer job to do or you can come write. One of the things that I'm doing is... Um, writing a series for Stay Work Play called My Housing Story, and I'd love for young people to submit their housing stories and talk about what it's like finding housing in New Hampshire. Mm. (laughs) Hint, hint. So, like, if you would like to be featured (laughs) in that series, like, I would totally encourage that. So, come find me through the Workforce Housing Coalition of the Greater Seacoast, www.seacoastwhc.org.
0: Awesome. Okay, so, last one, and... Kind of a cheap shot, because Laura put a bunch of those tags out there, but like where do people stay connected with you and the podcast we do have on the other one? I'm definitely going to put them back in this one too, in case people missed the last one with Laura, but
1: cool cool. where do
0: people stay up to date with Sarah Wrights, men, woman, and uh um you know your podcast, anything that, you, they, that they should connect with you on?
1: uh okay, so. Definitely. Let's talk podcast first. Creative Guts has a website, www.creativegutspodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at Creative Guts Podcast. Of course, if you want to talk about housing, come find me at the Workforce Housing Coalition. Our website, again, is seacoastwhc.org. We are also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is seacoastwhc.org. Nice. And I don't think I know the link to the blog off the top of my head, but it's something along the lines of stayworkplay.org slash blog slash author slash Sarah, I think. Um, I will get Dave the legit link and see if that works. But definitely go find me on Stay Work Play if you want to read more about getting involved in local politics. That's one of the columns that I write. And the other column that I write is called MySpace, and it is about housing. Do you like that clever name, MySpace?
0: It's about Tom.
1: (laughs) It is. It's about Tom. (laughs) Our old, old old friend. Yeah. My boy. I I wonder what he's up to.
0: (laughs) Killing it. I think living off of very good checks. And
1: if you want to be best friends with me, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I accept every single friend request I get unless you end up being a multi-level marketing person and then you get deleted pretty quickly. Sorry, no offense. And you can find me on Instagram. My profile is public and I share lots of pictures of bunnies. I have a bunny. My um, handle is at rightswoman. And I'm on Twitter too, but I don't do a lot there. So just ignore me there.
0: Same. (laughs) Same. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the Waking Up From Work podcast. Double Creative Guts feature, uh, double ridiculously long episodes because we just had a lot to (laughs) talk about with the two of you. So thank you for being on and and hanging out with us.
1: Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone on Instagram. I see that there is one person watching and I love you for being here. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 63 and that kind of two-part feature of the Creative Guts podcast. I really hope you got a lot out of it. I know that that's kind of the first time that we've talked about some of those economic and housing uh, crises uh, kind of in a larger, more intricate scale. I know we've kind of embedded it into some of our conversations in the podcast, but it was really fun getting an expert on the topic and getting a chance to get that conversation out there because I think it's one that a lot of people don't have, but a lot of people are also ultimately experiencing. So next week is going to be kind of a wild card episode because I have an awesome, awesome guest lined up but he might be moving to the week after that. I might be doing a solo one. So I'm not going to get you prepped up for next week because I don't know what's going on with it yet. But I appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, If you want to support the podcast and you're really liking and getting something out of this, honestly, just sharing this with your friends, giving us a, a review on iTunes and letting us know what you think. Hit us up if you want at Dave Wake Up on Instagram. That's where we're going live on Thursday nights at 7:30 p.m. Eastern. If you want to catch this while it's happening, that's why it sounds a little bit live in the beginning because I am actually usually kicking off the episode live. So if you want to hang out and ask questions and engage with the guests on Thursday nights, that is a lot of fun. And if you want to check out any of the links from this episode or any of the episodes, head on over to wakingupfromwork.com/slash/shownotes. There's a lot of other things I'm working to add to that website as we go throughout the year here. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. Really excited to catch you on the next one here. Have an awesome week.